0: Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. Here we go. Uh, When we perceive a threat, our bodies react for protection. And when I mean our bodies, I'm not just talking like the body... Acts entirely on its own, referring to the fact that very, very deep, old, ancient regions of the brain, such as the, the brain stem, medulla, cerebellum, basal ganglia, etc., these very, very ancient regions that are unconscious, pre conscious, we have no control over, which in turn interacts with the body. When we perceive threat, our bodies react for protection the autonomic nervous system switches us very quickly uh, into from the relaxed state to what's known as a sympathetic state. We stiffen and retract, we attack, we scan around for safety. Some of us become small and compliant, but if the threat becomes overwhelming to the point where we cannot protect ourselves, we might go into the ancient, ancient state of the autonomic nervous system known as freeze and collapse, sometimes clinically referred to as dissociation, blacking out, shutting down, and so forth. These survival reactions of um, either becoming stiff, preparing for an attack, scanning for safety, rapid breathing, are meant to be temporary, uh, or if we black out, it's meant to be temporary. But if we have enough cumulative wounds, or if we experience in life extreme traumas, there will be lasting psychobiological traits that emerge over time. Um, so what, before we talk about those traits? Uh, what are the kind of events that can lead to lasting psychobiological issues, disorders? Well, of course, there's in early life, if a child experiences emotionally distant or unreliable parenting, that's, of course, uh, been shown to be a direct precedent or a precursor of uh, many Uh, disorders, chronic abuse in relationships in adult life, when children are bullied, Uh, of course uh, when uh, racialized Americans are targeted by abuse from uh, racists or police, when we experience in our life life life-threatening events wherein uh, we go into a shock state, a car crash, a sudden of assault, and so forth. And those who witness catastrophic injuries or deaths for others, um, such as doctors, nurses, EMTs, and other medical personnel during the pandemic, um, these are classic scenarios that lead to lasting uh, maladaptive effects dysphoric effects. Certain behavioral responses that people have are also associated with uh, uh, long-term emotional distress. Specifically, those who fail to acknowledge a disturbing or wounding event has occurred in their life, when people act as if nothing has occurred after the loss of an attachment figure. Sometimes children after the loss of a parent or people after a really painful loss will push on through life as if nothing has happened. And this is known very often as compartmentalization, where uh, maybe a conscious or unconscious decision is meant to hold an extremely wounding event outside of, the interpersonal conversations we have where we no longer acknowledge that uh, we've had an attachment loss, for example. So um, the defensive body that uh, is the lasting uh, trait are sustained, as I said, by lower brain regions, such as the cerebellum and the basal ganglia, but it's most pronounced in the body. So our abdomens will stay contracted in knots or our jaws will remain clenched. Our shoulders locked and tight. Um, breaths will become shallow and hesitant over time. Our gestures will become cut off and people will nervously develop very repetitive, you know, traits. Uh, or I should say gestures or actions, um, the vagal tone lowers, which means the heart is more pronoun- is more uh, untethered and will race uh, and will not return to a state of rest even though we wind up in safe situations. Um, when the vagal tone lowers, there's a significant protracted lessening of emotional regulation that what we are capable of, of, of uh, manifesting or auto-regulating our own emotional states. So what happens when the body becomes locked in a defensive state long after a traumatic or wounding event happens is that the body in turn continually signals back to the brain that we're in danger so while the lowest brain areas like the autonomic nervous system and brain stem are deeply involved in in this these these stiffening patterns these locked patterns these these halted or uh, staccato gestures over time the body signals back to higher regions of the brain i'm not safe Now, it's worth here noting, once again, that there are three states of the autonomic nervous system. The healthiest is known by neurologists such as Porges as the social engage, where we connect with others for safety. We express our emotions through facial expressions and vocalizations. We're relaxed. We're open. We listen. We collaborate we uh, are creative, we inhibit impulses, we choose how to act. We have a degree of free will when we're in this high state. And again, when you're in this highest state of uh, this most functional state, where we can connect and talk with others, where we're relaxed, um, your frontal lobe is capable of inhibiting impulses Uh, and that allows a sense of free will. If though ever we encounter a threat, a danger cue in our life, whether it's a facial expression, a movement of someone else, or a really challenging external, uh, stimuli, then what happens we go into mobilization? That sympathetic nervous system takes over. And in this arousal fight-flight state, we are no longer uh, capable of really communicating or uh, uh, inhibiting impulses, we wind up moving really quickly. We wind up having extremely repetitive survival based thoughts like, I'm not safe, I don't know what will happen to me, bad things are gonna, you know, etc. And uh, the repetitive fear based thoughts lead to. A disconnect from others, uh, thought loops, and especially states of anxiety where the heart starts racing, cortisol starts being secreted, and uh, we lose our uh, we uh, insomnia over time and so forth. Uh, the last state of the nervous system is immobilization when we're in a life-threatening situation or when some a close a person very close to us, has a severe injury or event, we shut down, we freeze, we dissociate, and over time, this immobilized state of the nervous system can lead to depression and brain fog and uh, uh, an ongoing state of being checked out. We can think of it <clears throat> the healthy state is as if you're driving. people use this analogy many times uh, if you're A healthy state of your nervous system is when you're driving uh, in a relaxed way down the road and your foot is moving lightly between the gas pedal and the brake back and forth. You're lightly, mostly tapping on the gas or gently pushing the gas. And that's known clinically as homeostasis when we're in this place where we're moving back and forth between move and slightly break, but we're moving forward in life and we're relaxed and we're, but if you could consider the mobilization state of the sympathetic nervous system as if we suddenly are just slamming on the gas and, you know, always trying to get somewhere to escape to, to to, uh, and it's unhealthy and it's unsafe in the long term for the nervous system. And the immobilization state of shock, freeze, shutdown is essentially the same as if you suddenly slam on the brakes so hard you screech to a halt. And that's the, the role of the ancient parasympathetic nervous system, the dorsal dive as it's called. We, we literally slam to a break a halt in life, and very often we go into a brownout state. Um, The point is, is that these three states, we can't decide. We can't talk ourselves out of one state and into another, Uh, especially when we're hijacked by a reactive state. We can't talk ourselves out of that triggered state of being. Friendly faces, touch, proximity can down-regulate the nervous system because the autonomic nervous system doesn't listen to what words people say. It actually neurocepts or unconsciously monitors their facial expression, the tone of voice, and so forth. So while trying to logic someone or reason with someone down to a state of safety uh, is a, a futile gesture, but um, the... Proximity, uh, uh, empathetic expression, someone listening to us, uh, nonverbal cues can actually downregulate us, and this is why, during social distancing, uh, of the pandemic has been uh, such a will be such a disaster. That many are predicting an avalanche of PTSD and psychological disorders. Uh, will be flooding into uh, clinics and uh, uh, psychiatric intake as a result of people not having this natural emotional regulation. So many of us will merge from this period of social distancing with some of this PTSD-like states of where the somatic body holds a significant degree of emotional wounds that have accumulated during our period of disconnection. Um, it's also noted that when we stay in the, the body, the anxious body that is uh, moving too quickly, that can't settle, can't relax, um, the ongoing state of hypervigilance leads us to constantly look for threats. This is known as hypervigilance. And even though there may not be any threats around us, any sight, sound, or experience, even remotely similar to a previous wounding event in life, can re trigger that somatic state of fear or anxiety. So, for example, someone who's um, been through a car crash. If they hear a sudden screeching of tires, their entire body will lock and their heart will start racing and there'll be this clenching and their jaw will lock and they'll start to feel their heart racing. Um, uh, uh, Many people who escape abusive relationships with narcissists or sociopaths, um, if they even hear the mention of their ex's name, or they see a a friend of their exes, or they wind up in the same neighborhood associated with their ex, their entire autonomic nervous system will be re-triggered and they'll wind up back in that body of stress, of threat, uh, and their body will hold The original traumatic events will be reactivated. And that's what's important to note. When we are triggered, we go back into the same survival impulses and body states that we experienced during the original emotional wounds or the original traumatic events. So, a a doctor who sees too many deaths during COVID uh, for years later and walking into work might suddenly have. That state of their breath being caught and their stomach abdominal muscles tightening and so forth. Um, As our muscles over time remain clenched, chronic pain will set in. Um, We might be the will often remain unaware of the tightening because we get lost in thoughts and external stimuli. Uh, So uh, as John Sarno, for example, has noted, uh, chronic back pain is very often the result of untreated stressful events in life or ongoing stress. Uh, People, of course, after uh, traumas can have severe Uh, forms of somatic distress Uh, most tragically our organs uh, especially the gut and lungs don't have many pain fibers so uh, the lasting cortisol secretion associated with the traumatized or emotionally wounded body is implicated in cancers. In fact, many cancers can be traced back to the aftermath of traumas in life. So um, <clears throat> the, there's of course been, since Freud, uh, a lasting attempt to treat many traumas and emotionally and the uh, accumulative wounds of abuse or interpersonal, uh, negative relational events uh, in childhood or afterwards through talk therapy. But uh, the most effective therapies are actually what's known are bottom-up or body-focused therapies, um, such as the work of Basil van der Kolk, Pat Ogden, Sensory Motor Psychotherapy, Peter Levine's Somatic Experiencing, There's others like David Burchelli's tension release exercises and uh, uh, emotion-focused therapies and so forth. And pretty much the key of these uh, modalities is to have the body release the locked states, especially the held, contracted, tense, uh, cut-off, Uh, states in the belly, the shoulders, the jaws, the legs, the arms, to uh, essentially treat the psychological disorder through focusing on the body. And this is very effective because uh, most disorders, personality and uh, complexes and maladaptive uh, tendencies are activated pre consciously. And if we try to treat them through talk therapy, generally, unfortunately, it's too late in the circuit. Um, the left brain has very little influence over the, uh, especially the uh, ancient regions of the nervous system and brain stem. But changing the body actually can directly. Create a cutoff because we're actually talking directly to the when we change the way we hold or gesture or move in the body. It actually, uh, as a bottom up approach, it's directly addressing the regions in the brain that hold the memory of traumas and abandonments. Some people also add a category of fawn or placating or becoming excessively compliant false self where the child has to bury subcortical awareness of their actual body state and instead go into a performance of people-pleasing to survive. And that as well, I would definitely say is another example of trauma. Early trauma can get locked in the body as a pattern of movement, behavior, impulses. We might think, well, the fawning or the placating, people-pleasing to survive that carries over from an insecure childhood, I think that's a mental habit. But actually, the very way we hold our body, as Pat Ogden notes, can set us up for falling into these placating uh, behaviors if we keep our eyes down if we are we tense in social situations if we get into a contracted small body of childhood that's what we hold then from that body we then can wind up in a uh, the behaviors flow from that somatic state so they if we go habitually into the the wounded child body, then from the wounded child body comes the 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 rest of the behavioral set, the behavioral vocabulary of pleasing and not stating our needs and being overly apologetic or overly seeking reassurance. And what we want to do uh, would be to change that body from the child body to this body that is associated with strength and confidence. And so that would be, you know, to actually bring energy up into the body, rather than have the sort of, you know, we all can fall into this sort of kind of hunched over, uh, diminutive, vulnerable body. So we want to go into this body where the You know the the shoulders are back, the chest is open, the chin is up, making eye contact, and it's very difficult to relapse into those old adaptive survival tendencies when we start first with the body. Uh, Once again, the top-down approaches of CBT and talk therapy are wonderful in many many different uh, to treat and handle many different. Uh, issues, but not these somatoform uh, challenges. Um, Unfortunately, bottom-up therapies are not very well known. This is uh, for many reasons. One, um, insurance companies are only familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy approaches and generally uh, don't uh reimburse or will uh, challenge reimbursing somatic, somatic therapies um psychiatrists who very often point people to uh therapeutic modalities are often unfamiliar with se and somat- and sensory motor psychotherapy etc um it also, that we are left hemispheric, logical people, and we're used to trying to solve everything through thinking. And so uh, we sort of live with this idea that if we can just buy a book or come up with a great idea or learn something, that it should be able to solve all our issues. That's what the left hemisphere and the cognitive mind wants, uh, guides us through life with this idea that it's just a matter of accumulating explicit knowledge that will cure everything, but of course uh, the idea that healing may be entirely out of the realm of thinking and more in the realm of focusing on the body is something that uh, uh, the uh, schematic rational thinking of the left hemisphere can find very, very uh, challenging. Bottom-up processes use mindfulness techniques either borrowed directly from, or very similar to Buddhist insight traditions. Uh, The founder of SC, Peter Levine, is actually a a very close friend with many famous Buddhist teachers. Uh, Same with uh, Pat Ogden and others. And there's an exceptional overlap between Buddhist mindfulness and which focuses attention on the body, primarily our internal experience in terms of feelings, body states, and um, the the practice of bottom-up therapies. The way we would uh, do, um, there's many different ways that uh, uh, somatic therapies can proceed, and I'm not going to go over, by any means, a lot of the different methodologies like orienting to safety cues and and such. I'm just going to talk about a couple of practices, but I would urge you, you can actually get a lot of wonderful information either by reading the works of Peter Levine or uh, Pat Ogden, uh, her, her work is wonderful, or you can watch them on YouTube. They give wonderful talks about their modalities. Um, I find their books quite good, but other people are more just want to watch the clips. Um, for tonight, we're going to be talking about visualizing a painful event or painful relationship experience while observing the body for muscle groups that hold the tension, noting where the energy in our body, which is supposed to flow up and down naturally with the breath, gets trapped, cut off, noticing where our natural movements get uh, become hesitant or or staccato or fractured. As well, we can also, during a state of depression, scan our body for the places that feel numb, hollow, lifeless, and we can bring energy into the lifeless body. So if we're in the anxious body, we can begin to use both awareness and fluid movements and movements where we push through or are actualized gestures that are cut off, or we might just use the breath energy to, to breathe through areas that feel locked. Or if we are in a depressed body, or shut down body, or a checked out body, we can bring energy through movement into those regions that feel hollow. A healthy cathartic approach can be to visualize an unjust situation to the point where it activates a state of trembling where the, where literally now we are in that, what Levine sometimes calls that shaking off or what David Burchelli calls tension release exercises. So literally the state of trembling being in it and just allowing the trembling to subside, um, Other ways in breath work, very often they'll be first having this very active breath, active breathing, which is a very sympathetic type breathing, etc., will then give way to a very relaxed, sort of uh, secure breath. These are a wide variety of tools, and we'll practice a few of them in the meditation. I, I would note that in the aftermath, it may feel a little bit vulnerable, uh, and you might want but to rest afterwards, but uh, you know, um, really, uh, I don't think that that will really be the case. Um, we're going to be merging a, a meditation practice called RAIM which is where we recognize, acknowledge, and investigate the body while while an emotional memory is present. And then we'll try to allow ourselves to connect with the held places and try to release some of the locked or trapped energy. Um, What is the role of thought in this? Well. Its role is pretty much to stay out of the way, to allow the body, the reptilian brainstem, and the emotional impulses of the mammalian the midbrain uh, to be the focus of our attention. So that is um, just a summary of uh, the basics of uh, bottom-up or somatic therapies and especially some of the main themes in the body keeps the score. Uh, there are many other main themes in that book. Um, but, uh, I hope that the talk was of interest. And now what we're going to do is we are going to put this in play for tonight. If you'd like, um, it's, uh, would be wonderful as well for those of you who feel comfortable lying down while you meditate that would be a practice that's good but if you simply want to sit up in your normal meditation position that's great but we're trying to get to a place where we unlock some of the pent-up uh energies and very often lying down is a very uh good way to initiate some of this practice in meditation. So uh, whatever position you're gonna be in, just try to find a really comfortable state. And uh, when you're ready, just close the eyes. And we're going to start out by first uh, trying to become fully present. And of course, there's no other way to engage some of these tools unless we are not distracted and we feel uh, we have a State of attention or awareness that doesn't drift off but actually can stay uh, focused. So, uh, in closing the eyes, just become aware first of any pronounced sensations in your body. You can just use those sensations to ground you in the present or If you'd like, listen for sounds, sounds in the uh, distance, sounds that are very close by. And just allowing your breath to find a very natural rhythm to it, a relaxed, natural rhythm. This is getting to a place where we've got uh, no place to go, nothing to do, nothing to look after, knowing that there's nothing missing from this moment. It's only in this very moment that we can achieve any form of liberation or any form of healing from the wounds of the past. So every time we slip away, we allow the mind to wander off. Well, it's certainly uh, a natural tendency for the mind to wander, and it's uh, of course a pattern or habit that develops over life when we become present to get lost in thought. But uh, if we want to show up for ourselves, really land in our life and give ourselves a sacred space and practice to heal, we need to ask the mind to settle and keep bringing it back. Of course, like a uh, Child, the mind will wander off, looking for shiny thoughts or um, distracting thoughts, memories that are um, that seem appetizing. That's the nature of the right hemisphere. It's sometimes referred to as the inner child. Uh, holds the earlier impulses of survival and uh, generally gets, stops developing as much around four or five years of age. So um, we need to ask that inner child just to settle for a little while, let us be present. And together with that child, we're going to, in a little while, bring our attention to the body If you like, you can just find the sensation of your body breathing. Feeling the breath moving into the belly, the in-breath, and then up to the chest if, you're, if you have a really relaxing full in-breath, and then a long, soothing exhalation. So hopefully we've settled into the present and have brought some awareness to our body. And so we're going to move into the practice itself. If you're lying on the ground on the floor, Um, If you'd like to have your legs folded at the knees, with your knees up and the the, uh, sole of the feet uh, on the floor, uh, that's a good practice so that at times you can actually lift your hips up, which can also create a degree of uh, embodied uh, energy. So what we're gonna do is um, bring to mind a event from the past that we would like to process, uh, an event maybe that feels unresolved, an event that was uh, challenging in some way surprising uh, turn of events or uh, experience that seems to have resonated. And uh, don't try to figure out what's the right memory or event, just let it come up. Your right uh, brain will, and uh, lower regions of the brain will activate hopefully the right, just allow whatever event, First presents itself without any thinking of it, and what we're going to do is um, hold some visual in our mind of that. Maybe it's an event where we sh- where we are still angry about, that could be a very useful one. Some experience where we were mistreated and we haven't really processed or connected with the anger, and that can get locked in the body as well, or maybe an event where we didn't acknowledge our, and truly process our fear. And what I want you to do is now make your breath a lot more active. Just really quickening up the pace of the breath while you visualize this experience. and. Try to contract if you like the 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 muscles in your bodies as you bring to mind, and if you can't visualize the event, just just say something in your mind that reminds you of the thing you know the it could be some horrible thing we've seen or witnessed, and just know what that is and just. And just tighten the muscles to the point where you can feel this shaking in the body and just this trembling almost state if you can get in contact with that. We want to get to this place where we're actually energizing the body <sighs> if you like, just keep that breath going that you know that breath of running that breath of uh, of uh, where we are suddenly in a a mobilized survival state and just, you know, that fast frantic movement and that tension and just feel like this, you know, feel both the energy in the body and try to note where also we're clamping down and trying to prevent that energy from fully being connected with and just allow whatever you you feel to be there just allow it, just allow it, and just get to that place where if it's, a, a, you know, a, an event associated with anger or loss, just feel that body. If it's loss, you it might just feel this collapse, this heaviness. But if it's anger, if it's something that's associated with mistreatment, or if it's a threatening situation, you might feel that electricity in your body. And when you get to a place where we can just be with and then find where the energy is getting trapped, where it's getting cut off, where the gestures or movements feel locked, bring your all your awareness into any place in the body that feels like it's clenched locked in tightness or completely lifeless empty and hollow and just if we need to breathe into and try to let the energy flow up through and down through the body, moving through that area where we hold the emotional legacy, the somatic legacy of a painful event, noticing maybe it's in the clenched jaw, the tight throat, the locked shoulders? How can we breathe into and move the breath through? We're still holding the memory, the image while we're observing the body. And now we're trying to release the held emotions that have been stuck while you hold the triggering memory. You can freeze the memory to a place where um, you felt most immobilized or most frightened or most stuck in the past. Just hold it there, but then see if you can connect and bring energy and fluidity into the body where it was locked, where it was frozen, where it was cut off. See if you can let some of the real tension in the body now, see if you can release tension, then release. And see if you can now bring the breath to a place where it is really full and slow, but still holding the memory. Where the body now can be fluid if you want to raise or move your hands and just see if your movements can become fluid where they're not cut off. Sometimes I hold some of my painful memories in the neck muscles, and it's really just through moving up and releasing the shoulders and the arms that I can release some of that held tension that locked in memory of tensing, clenching during a painful event in life. So, just keep awareness on the body. And in a moment, I'm going to ring the bowl. I thank you for this practice and encourage uh, you to, uh, if you'd like, explore some of the wonderful resources of. Uh, sensory motor, Pat Ogden, somatic experiencing, Peter Levine, tension and release, David Burchelli. So, uh, thank you for your practice. If you'd um, like to support my Buddhist pastor work, everything I do is by donation, and uh, uh, that's how I live. And uh, uh, it's the Venmo is Dharma Punks with an X, NYC. So, uh, or you can just go to the podcast site. There's the PayPal button.